And if I see that the CEO is parked in front of the house and the clients have to work, walk 100 meters, um, and then they talk about, they, they sell me their customer centricity. Welcome back to season two of the Business Culture Podcast, a platform to learn through the power of context and story. It's great to be back with you. This season is all about impact. I'll be chatting to impact makers across industries and geographies to understand how they have made true impact on their customers, colleagues, and communities. In this episode, I got to chat with Monique Landman. Operating out of both the Netherlands and South Africa, Monique has worked both in the corporate space as well as smaller entities to really emphasize and leverage the power of emotional intelligence. She currently holds the position of Chief Empathy Officer of the PGA of South Africa. So Monique, yeah, what, what we're always trying to do in the beginning of our podcast is, is try and give our listeners a little bit of context, and that's really just to... Um, to provide those who perhaps are less in the know as to your journey or what you've kind of been been up to. And, and what's interesting, I think, in terms of our previous chats is how much, uh, how much you've learned along your different moments of your career. And I think it'd be lovely just to start with that, just to, just to get a, a brief kind of overview of, of where you started in the early days of work and, and how you kind of find yourself in what you do now. No, I think it's what's interesting is that um, I started my career when I was 17. I started working when I was 17. Uh, I didn't go to any university. I just wanted to get as quick as possibly out of the house. I'm not a very uh, warm background. And I started working. And funny enough is um, I had two talents that I was aware of at that time. That was my uh, ability to learn languages very quickly and very easily. And I noticed that I love serving and I love people. So I started working at a tourist information office, being 17, speaking six, seven languages on a day. And funny enough, um, the more I get older and grew into my career, I, I know now that that start was actually something, you know, it was not an Ivy League university or a brand new, I started as a trainee with an exact note, not of that, but being so grounded in tourism and in hospitality and, and working my way up very organically. Um, yeah, so I, st I started in tourism and in hospitality, worked as a receptionist at several hotels. And if there's one thing that I use every day in my work now is that work and that experience as a receptionist. Because now if I go into an office or a meeting with a client who invites me, I always go half an hour earlier and I sit and I watch how people treat the receptionist. And then it tells me something about culture. And so it's funny, I'm now 54 years old that I still go back to that moment how I started. Obviously, I did uh, later in time, I went from tourism into communications, into event management, and then started my own company about 16 years ago, doing leaderships programs and, and uh, executive events. And that is sort of a turning point as to where I am now, that I saw 
having 200 top uh, bankers in one room. I saw about leadership. I saw about transformation. And I saw what makes them really having a transformational experience or just listening into an event. And yeah, from there on, I, I started to interfere with the program and that brought me to leadership today. It's um it's interesting how you speak about um the, you know being at the front line in terms of the receptionist role and things like that where you kind of are getting a first hand experience of what um what human behavior is really about and and how uh, how different people kind of react to different situations do you think do you think that's quite a, an integral um part of anyone's journey for example that they you know if they want to be in hospitality for example that they actually be a waiter to start with or if they want to be in human dynamics that they actually experience it firsthand, like, you know, in the sense of being a receptionist, et cetera. Do you think that's an important part of anyone's journey to, to do? Yeah, I think it is, especially from also from a leadership perspective, leadership and culture uh, and ultimately serving your customer go hand in hand. Mm. So there is a, there is a famous example of a, a pharmaceutical company in the U S and their executives take turn at the reception desk every month because they want to know what clients come in, what people are they getting into their headquarters. And, um, well, I often speak about the parking lot in front of the, uh, in front of the, uh, the main entrance. And if I see that the CEO is parked in front of the house and the clients have to work, walk 100 meters, um, and then they talk about, they, they sell me their customer centricity, um, I, I always take a photograph of that and I'll show them. I said, well, thank you for inviting me to talk about customer centricity, but let's talk about leadership first. Mm. Why do you want to park in front of the company? Mm. And yeah. so it's being um, staying grounded to your customers, to your end customers. If I, I worked a lot in banking and, and at executive level servicing those executives, and every time there was a new product or a project being launched, I always asked them the question, what does it do to the man in the street with his bank card at the ATM? That is the ultimate end customer. Mm. And so when is the last time that you actually went to an ATM? Or when is the last time that in a hospitality, for instance, when did you sleep in your own bed? Mm. So staying grounded is also about um, uh, leadership and it's also about getting to know the product and experiencing the product. It's fasc fascinating. I, I, I'm going to ask you a few questions on the different leaders that you've, you've worked with in your time. But what I'm also interested to know is, is in your journey so far, you've obviously had some, some moments of, of deep learning, I suppose, where you know, we've all had those moments and times where uh, we've had to learn the hard way and it's been at the same time the biggest one of our biggest uh, times of growth as well because of that can you recall any specific um instances or experiences where it was a real deep learning experience for you or something where you were very much out of your comfort zone and something which was was quite a tough situation to to deal with yeah i think um for me personal and professional life go really hand in hand uh, that is in my journey, the case. So my, I think I had about two or three really defining moments in life that changed me and shaped me into the person that I am today. And one was that at the age of 
12, my, my mother passed away and they came to collect me from school. So I had to cycle home and um, uh, I, I sort of cycled down the hill and I saw the house and I saw all these aunts and cars parked in front of the house. And what I did then, I saw that and I thought, oh, no, they're expecting me to cry and they expect me to show all emotions, which was uh, natural to be expected. But I choose not to. I actually made a choice on that bicycle, seeing the house, by I'm not going to show anybody. I don't want that. And that resistance mm. took me 40 years, 40 years to get out of that guarded, out of my head, out of and really connect to, deeply connect to emotion and to heart. Mm. And funny enough that when I um, rediscovered that, um, everything changes in my work because then I noticed when I traveled or when I was in a hotel or in a restaurant or in work or doing those leadership days, I saw that a lot of people actually are guarded and distance themselves from uncomfortable human uh, emotions. Mm. So I started changing my whole approach and, and um, uh, actually seeing and, and recognizing that guarded feeling. And when you don't have that, magical things can happen. So that is sort of uh, um, how it changed me into my professional life. And obviously it did miracles for my personal life. Finally opening up, um, being real, being um, vulnerable, uh, sharing uncomfortable stuff. And, um, and the second um, experience is, I think it's part of the same sort of in that line, was when I, I burned out about uh, six years ago. I was working for a strategic uh, communication company doing the change practice. And I was so uncomfortable in that culture, in that ecosystem. And I was so guarded and so afraid. Uh, uh, so made me feel so small that finally I, well, it, it was bound to happen. So I burned down. And I recovered from that depression. And from that moment on, I decided to go downstream and not every doing everything on willpower, uh, just letting everything organically occur. Mm. And that was about five years ago. And then I started Unchain. Um, I thought, you know, this is about unlocking, uh, help people in companies to be um, safe to um, create leaders that actually unlock that in employees. And so it did miracles for my personal life, but uh, also in my professional career. And I always speak about my own experiences. Um, I think in change business, you need, you really need to have an experience so transformational mm. because change is hard. It's messy. It's, we are all messy, imperfect human beings. So at least I know now for myself that I am. Yeah. I'd love to unpack change a little bit more, but before we get there, I was interested. You, you, you spoke earlier about, and you said that you find a lot of people are often guarded uh, when you, when you first encounter them, they, they're a lot more people than you thought that, that have that sort of guarded mentality. Where do you, in your opinion, where do you think that comes from? Where do you think that is created from? Because I don't think we're born guarded. You know, we're not born as, you know, we're not born pessimists, as they always say, you know, we become pessimists. But in the same sense, I don't think we initially born guarded. Where do you think that that sort of 
mentality or that disposition sort of comes from? Yeah, I think um, as a child, um, you learn to ride a bike and you fall off 20 times. And it's completely normal. Uh, I mean, so by where we're uh, at that time, you're more, you know, you, every focus, every failure you make is part of the learning uh, curve. And nobody expects a child of 12 years old to be academic level. Or, you know, you talk as parents about mistakes. And finally, in the line, when we go older, we lose that touch of our, well, we could say our inner child, that freedom that we feel to actually ask stupid questions or try our things or build a rocket out of paper and actually really believe that the rocket is going to launch. So in companies, what happens is when you start to work in an ecosystem, um, uh, when they expect things of you and they only celebrate the achievements and not the efforts, or when um, there is a leadership who only focus on, out, on, on the process. Um, so actually in a group where people are feeling peer pressure, um, that's where we sort of close down. And, um, and also human experiences, like for instance, mine being an orphan at 12, or um, that once human people or humans are very, very uncomfortable with dealing uncomfortable stuff. We move away from disappointment, from frustration. We eat it, we drink it, we buy it. We, we party away, so not to feel it. And actually, uh, so we become more in the head. We become more uh, um, dis disconnected from feelings. Mm. Well, actually, failures, mistakes, having life-changing experiences, when you move closer to yourself and you know what's happening and you actually accept it, then you become uh, sort of also more um, resilient uh, a person because then when things go south, you're more likely to be stay in your balance. Mm. So we move away from our emotions, from dealing with difficult stuff. We hardly sit on the couch all day. Well, actually, that data you get from uh, a sad experience or even a happy experience, the data you can learn personally from that experience by moving and moving closer to yourself. Mm. We lost that. Do you do you think that with that in mind, that answer that when it comes to um, social media and the digital space, which has become such a prominent uh, part of most of our lives, that that's almost encouraging a, a lack of human, true human connection, or you know that there's people are, are, are not using opportunities to engage in a physical space because they'd rather do it in, a, in what they deem to be a safer space online. Um, and that, that sort of making, making us less able to, to run towards those fears or run towards the difficult situations or embrace those difficult feelings. Um, what, what's your take on, on the sort of social media impact uh, when it comes to, you know, that guarded nature? Yeah, I think if you're, if you're um, unhappy in your skin and feeling uh, depressed as I suffered a severe depression, so I know, I know how it feels. And you look on social media, 
you might find yourself thinking that everyone is having a happy life and that everything is perfect and that it has to be blue skies. You rarely see pictures of rainy situations uh, with holidays being destroyed by rain because that's not a cool thing to say. So that peer pressure on social media is it's the same as in companies. If you have a company where the culture is up or out, um, you don't want to share your uh, vulnerability because you'll be afraid. If you all your friends on social media celebrate uh, their greatest New Year's Eve with parties and, and glamorous lifestyle, and you're stuck at home alone, that makes you feel very, very sad. But and and this is an example that I've for many many years um, I always use New Year's Eve as an example because that is the moment where um, you'll actually like Christmas and holidays. That is so much a magnifying glass for people who don't have that or choose not to have that. But it makes you very vulnerable and and uh, I think loneliness. And not only in companies, I call that corporate loneliness, but also in society because of that online uh, situation, because of our online reality and our digital, we completely are hyper-connected, but we have more loneliness than ever because the real in having a conversation, uh, the real in hugging somebody, a hug could be so powerful to say, you know, I feel it. I feel your pain. But that whole digital space um, in companies now with, with remote working as well, how do you know, how can you build a team when everybody's behind Zoom? How can you still have honest conversations? Yeah. So it's, it, I think it's a, a definitely a threat and, and more than ever, humanity and human connections are become a, scarce, a scarcity. Yeah. Um, and also an opportunity for businesses. If they do that right, they can fill up a void that is now occurring in society. Mm. It's um, it speaks into what you starting we're starting to chat about in terms of change. Um, and and I suppose the the first truth that I, I suppose you and I both agree on, and many others, is that people generally aren't good with change. They don't run towards change. They you know, they like to, to, I suppose, live within a comfort zone or within the known and, and operate there, which I guess we're all guilty of to, to some extent in our lives. But what is the, you know, in, in your experiences with different companies, different people, different personalities, et cetera, is what is the, the sort of starting point when it comes to, to changing the way a collective or an organization thinks and therefore does you know what what is the starting point for you when you go into a business or into a group of people um in terms of starting that change process um yeah i think that what i always do is i observe a lot and if i enter a company an office building a parking lot as i said before within minutes i know what i have to do i can see it Instantly, I, I by observing how do they treat a receptionist? How do, do, do they see the janitor? Do they see the cleaning lady? Um, so that is a, a sort of, a, a, I like to call it a sort of an empathy scan, like what is like, what is the undercurrent in this, in this company? And 
for me, knowing what you want to change, um, um, it is, I, I try to bring in, uh, I start with bringing in the energy that it's, it's inspiring. And, and by setting up a sort of uh, signal to the, towards the true north, this is, I use, I, I choose my words very carefully, like words like, Imagine if we're a year or ahead from here. Imagine if you're going to be a mark leader. Uh, words like trust, perspective, uh, together. These are all um, uh, soft, kind, warm words, safe words. Um, but everything that all my workshops uh, or conversations that I have from that starting point starts with vulnerability. But building... A connection and um, uh, in teams, first time we I need a team or in leadership groups or in boardroom even, um, I connect on a personal level. I make sure that the people I'm going to work with and they have to do it together. I'm just a facilitator in that process, but I connect them to each other again. So I built, I dissolved the barrier um, by asking. Uh, personal questions like what is your most defining moment in life or uh, share about when are you at your best so I have all depending on the, on the level and on the problem but what I instantly see is that people have to start to get to know each other again and uh, when they're out of their head into their hearts they're more likely to open up for new perspectives so um, and it I mean it works miracles i've seen magical things happen and i i'm always very nervous at the beginning uh because i think oh what if it doesn't work what if it doesn't work it's a but it always does so uh small groups bigger groups uh the moment people are opening up and dissolving a little bit of the barrier uh, the next barrier is more easy to resolve and even doing innovation workshops on creativity on finding new business models I'm not going to start about strategic business model conversations. I, I asked them, what do you wish for your friends and family right now? And they're, they're going to they open up about friends and family. And then you could see the, in their face, finding a little bit relaxation. So they, they open up a bit. And in that space, you can work towards change. And then obviously there's a, uh, the, the leader uh, who has to set example. And the leader who has to unlock um, uh, the, the, the new perspective, um, they have to move people into the new direction. And so obviously I spend a lot of time mentoring executives on, on that skill mm. to do that because that's part of the change. But it always happens But getting people out of their head into their hearts. It, it sounds like, and you kind of summed it up so nicely there right at the end, um, it, it sounds like it's it's so important to get people into the right state, um, into the right psychological and obviously emotional state to, so that they can actually unlock their potential. Because the way that I understood that last answer that you gave us is, you know, a lot of the answers lie within these individuals, you know, when it comes to innovation or whatever the case might be, but they're just not in the right state to to unlock that potential, to unlock that answer. Is that is that a fair a fair summary? No, absolutely. If you what what you really want in your in every company, in every organization, even at your local tennis or golf club, in a in a group of members, 
you want people to share abundantly and freedom free of themselves about they you want people to share their hearts their personality giving them something of themselves to another person so if you want people to work together it is about willingness that they have for another human being to help so it is it is a very human um um action that you actually want to do either in a team or in any in a family um you know being willing to give something of yourself and to unlock that potential um that is that starts with seeing people and by seeing them and actually making them giving them this feeling of that they matter so uh, i did a change project in joburg in a hotel very chic uh, uh classy hotel and we sort of changed the proposition uh into being at a um a joburg downtown um how do you say that um uh a garden uh, a retreat almost downtown center a sanctuary that's the word so i started with the gardeners because i said you know i'm going to advise your leadership that i think this garden is the main big best thing of the hotel to sell people will not stay in a 200 a room hotel for instance but some people choose for small and intimate those people who come in here your garden you are the asset of the hotel mm. i spent an, i think just four hours with the whole team you know they were cutting grass and i was walking around and i showed it to them that idea you know they started walking up upright they came in 5 minutes earlier to work they uh, they showed me a week later look we cut the grass and and they they felt that they are part of an experience mm. same thing i did with housekeeping the housekeeping said no we don't connect to the guests but i woke up at 6:00 with them and we started cleaning the rooms and i said to them listen you have the most intimate connection with the guest of everybody in a hotel because you know what's in their bin you know if people have sex you know if they are sick you have the most intimate connection although you don't see them and they felt for the first time in their careers in their per- personal or, or professional lives they felt like i met her you cannot believe the change only after 4 hours mm. by making fe- people feel good about what they do and don't executive or at the end of the chain or cleaning and i did the same with dishwashers the discolors um spent i just spent 4 hours in their scullery mm. yeah it's 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 interesting how you know on on face level it sounds like such a um a fundamental uh, you know rudimentary thing but it it actually has ne- it happens so seldom these days that people from top to bottom feel part of a organization feel truly part of of the collective and it's you know it's interesting because it obviously starts from the top in terms of building a culture um <clears throat> and i think maybe the word prioritization of what's most important really comes to my mind in that when you when you as the leader of an organization prioritize what's most important in terms of building a culture it seems maybe that that 
the knowing around that or the understanding around that has been lost because you know if if a lot of these leaders or, or CEOs etc were doing it the right way around then I think those housekeepers those gardeners would obviously feel part of the uh, part of the woodwork part of the team um, what's your take on that I mean do you, do you think that there has just been a, a lack of prioritization around what's really most important or, or is there another reason no I think that um, I think you're exactly right that they spend too much time behind closed doors in their offices doing reports. And the same, so the holding or the group uh, demand all these reports from them. So that is like from executive level, they ask all general managers to constantly uh, uh, share reports and forecasts and numbers. And um, when is the last time you, in a hotel that you actually saw a general manager walking around or at a golf club or um, I mean there they are uh, well and not but many of them spent way too much in their office and if they would come up in the morning like the, the CEO of Ikea for instance he's famous for it he always starts his day every uh, um uh, Ikea and anywhere in the world where he comes to, he starts at five o'clock in the morning before anyone else of that company is, is, is there. And he talks to the drivers who uh, pack the truck in the morning. And he asks them, do we treat you right? Do, we, do you have good enough coffee? Because he knows that these guys transport their goods. So especially in hospitality, uh, and I know there's always, you know, there's always admin to do. And that's, that's very understandable. But um, managing uh, your, your customers, uh, observing, talking to customers, spending time with housekeeping. I always say like at least of your five-day work week, spend one day uh, or eight, ten hours on the ground doing you know, like how do we do our waste or, or the cleaning or whatever spend time with people so that prior and that's not their fault that is what their executives ask them to do yeah. so it's you know the fish rots from the head if, if that is um, what they have to do and to keep their jobs but that is the the especially in hospitality walk around talk to your guests, spend time in the dining room, come up with every morning It's with the start of your, your team. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of what we're touching on here is, is about curiosity in, in, in general human behavior. And, and I wanted to ask your opinion on this. You know, you get some people that are, I think like you and I perhaps that are very curious about human behavior, perhaps just naturally so. But do you think that it is something that can be the affinity for human behavior. Do you think it's something that can be, that it's nurtured or is it, is it just a nature, a nature element? Is it just part of your, your wiring? Is it something that can be cultivated or improved in your opinion? Oh yeah. I think that we're all born with a sense of curiosity. Um, you know, that is how we, we learned our skills through kindergarten and school and, you know, we, we would climb into trees or, well, build those paper rockets. Uh, so I think it is, it's part in every human because we're part of a tribe. We are not born as uh, lone people. We're not an island, you know. So I think it's in human nature to be connected to everybody else. And again, I think that 
in that whole what you see in society now being disconnected to what's real um you know you have a dinner party you sit with 10 friends and the conversation could easily go into success money status uh, uh making impression even on your friends even on your close friends and during a dinner um if you are if you become aware of that situation you're actually you have a choice to change it mm-hmm. sometimes you know when i found myself in this situation i know i i think for myself can i if i continue this conversation well i have a beautiful evening and we have laughter and it's nice but if i ask or share something really personal what's bothering me i could change the whole course of the dinner and i take a deep breath because it's you know sometimes it comes unnatural to me too so i find myself a little bit of courage and then i ask a different question and when you when you are aware of that you have a choice and you can change a business conversations you can when when somebody gives you feedback which is hard to swallow and you know you'll instantly find yourself being guarded because you know you close but if you are able to see that there is a difference between the reaction you get from that the way you respond so you can actually feel miserable about the feedback but you still um have a choice to respond differently mm. so getting and and this is this is something that has been part of my every workday life but also my personal life open heart is an open mind so it is about being present not being on your phone when you're having a conversation at the same time um when you walk into um into your office um sometimes in one of my i i mentor a client right now and he lost complete connection with heart and um and so i said to him so every morning your first meeting for the rest that that happened 2 weeks ago so every morning you go into the office and the first meeting you're going to make a heart connection a real connection so no matter if it's it's the first person you see on the parking lot or the meeting or your first zoom call you make yourself aware of i have to open up my heart mm. and dissolve a barrier and when that dis- barrier is dissolved the whole day will change then you'll have honest conversations people were more likely to share hey rob i don't know i gave you this assignment but um i'm i'm nervous or i don't want you to talk to my people because i'm scared what they're going to say about me uh mm. that is what you really want to unlock that and to unchain that openness it it's interesting when you when you talk about that and 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 that you you ask that individual to do that one little thing at the beginning of of the meeting it 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 rings a bell in my mind about the difference between sort of incremental change and trying to do everything you know in one go try to all of a sudden become something completely different overnight which i think we you know most people agree on is is very difficult to do if not impossible do you find that you know the way that humans have become less and less patient makes change more difficult in the sense that you know incremental change does take time and it is a process but people want kind of results yesterday um and you know i suppose instant gratification and 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 digital and all these things have made our patience less and less do you think that do you think that that's making change more difficult in the sense of 
you know, in terms of the role of, of being a change management specialist? Well, I think it, it is true. I mean, this big change, if uh, for my whole life, I struggled with losing weight, gaining weight. You know, I, I even wrote a book on it a few years ago. But the struggle, the struggle is real. But um, so I'm 54 years old, and I still don't have the magical answer. Sometimes it's going right. And some sometimes, you know, uh, um, I struggle. But in companies, when you when your goal is to you know uh, change customer experience and you want uh, a Booking.com ten, uh, an average or increase from let's say Booking.com, you have a, a, a guest reviews and you want from seven to eight, mm. which is sounds like a small change, but actually that means that. Every action throughout the company, all those small daily actions uh, all together will drive the change. But if you only focus on that number and you're, you're more likely to only pay attention to the end result and the achievement, while at the same time, changing a culture what leads automatically to a 10 on booking.com if you pay attention to everyday efforts and um, uh, celebrating those efforts, uh, paying attention to it, uh, unlocking it, sharing best practices, you will see that the process is the change. Mm. And it's not about the eight, but it's about the, all those small things. So when you're doing it, you're not... Um, uh, seeing it that's going to the gym for the first time you know you sweat for six weeks nobody will notice you'll feel you'll feel better but only after three months people start to see the difference mm. but at the same time you've been feeling super well for three months so if you only focus on that number on the skill you might overlook that you have been feeling amazing fit for three months and feeling proud of yourself and as I said to you uh, at the beginning, I, I'm doing this cold water uh, challenge now. Mm. If I only focus on being in water at zero degrees, I I forget that I've actually been in that water every morning for the past week. Mm -hmm. So the and and I've noticed that the process is the change because in that process, beautiful things happen. People will feel proud of themselves. They will go home and walk up more straight. Um, they will look other people in the eye. They, you, you're growing a sense of um, uh, confidence. What I do with groups in South Africa, especially groups who lack confidence. And I said, well, every night, we, I have them in a team for five days, for instance. So tonight you're walking home and one of your assignments is you have to look somebody in the eye. And uh, then they come in next morning. They say, well, I'm so scared. I didn't do that. And it's okay. Then, then okay, you're going to do it today. And so what happens on day four or five, they come home and said, at first they looked strangely at me. But then people are started making chats or saying hello. So if you do that 10 days, they're, you know, they're more likely to have beautiful encounters and have more confidence in themselves. So you're working on a huge transformational experience in your company, 
Well, the magic is happening every day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how, how true I believe what you say is there and about firstly the process, but I think just those little things. And it, it sparked something in, in my memory of, of this notion of the intention that we, um, that we put out to, to other people in the sense that, you know, we often intention can be misconceived or mis, misperceived and that we might not just be not confident, but the perception that's put out or the intention that, that is felt from the other person is that we're being arrogant or that we don't want to, to talk to them. But actually, it's, it's a confidence issue on our side, for example. And a lot of people often get mis, misinterpreted like that, whether they're walking past someone in the street or whether it's in a company where they think, oh, this, you know, that person's really not a nice person. They, they don't ever want to talk to me or they, they look like they're just so arrogant. But actually, it's something that sits as a confidence issue in, in their own mind and heart. Do you, do you think that is a, do you find that quite often being the case that, that people's, what they put out isn't actually what they intend to put out, but it's a, it's a way that it's interpreted from other people? Oh, yes. If, if, if you know this feeling of being guarded, uh, what happens in your brain, your amygdala, you know, blows up and there's a lot of things, stress in your head. So the whole brain flight and fight, uh, um, when you have a, a profound lack of confidence, you'll feel like uh, a little deer on the Kalahari plane because you'll feel like you're being attacked all the time. Well, at the same time, if you are confident and, and grounded and really uh, um, um, feeling this, this profound groundedness of that you know you can always go back to, okay, um, but I'm okay. I met a... Uh, I'm good. So what happens is that there is a lot of, of misunderstanding. There is a lot of, because people interpreted signals. You know that moment, uh, this is a lovely example from Brene Brown from her TED talk or her Netflix talk. And I resonated that so deeply with that. You know, you send somebody a message, a little bit of a difficult message, and you can see that he, they read the message and you can see that they're typing. And in that moment, you make up stories. Hmm. In that moment, no matter how confident you are, if you're a little bit out of balance or you feel guarded, um, you're more likely to come up with stories. Hmm. And um, so, and that, that is okay. Uh, I mean, that is what we humans do. But then if you have a culture where you can ask the question, say, hey, I wondered why you responded that because it made me feel like I was not good enough or it made me feel like I failed you. And then somebody could say, oh, no, that's not the case, you know. Um, our, our deep, deep uh, purpose in life to, uh, but also our longing in life to be recognized, to be seen, to be appreciated that is what we all have in common. But that's something that you, that is so deep below the water. I always use that iceberg, you know, you see behavior above the water, but actually under the water, there's all these beliefs and uh, experiences that made us that way. But the more you connect on a deeper level, you'll find common ground deep under that surface. Yeah. And if you have an ability to connect on that level, you will automatically also recognize that when somebody behaves rude or when somebody lashes out, that is it not about that they are 
uh, that's not about you, but it's something that they might feel lonely or they might feel rejected by you. Yeah. I I also find that, and perhaps you do as well, is that there is a um, there's a difference in, in companies, in cultures, and in individuals when it comes to the ability to deal with with conflict or deal with friction. So you know, you you read up that you get good friction and bad friction. You know. Every company or collective of people needs to have friction at some point in order to move forward. But it's in the way that they deal with that friction or how they, they use it from a learning point of view that actually, you know, differentiates the good from the greats, in a sense. Um, do you find that there is a glaring difference between cultures that deal well with conflict and those which have almost veer away from it because they don't know how to deal with it? in general and and is that a leadership function do you think that's something which is steered strongly from the leadership no i think that um in i don't know numbers but in most of the companies conflict is is creating so much barriers mm. and creating so much uh, i call that silent grief there is so much silent loneliness and grief in a company because of of not dealing with conflicts. So sometimes you think the company has a very warm culture and uh, they're, they're so kind, but they're not very clear. So from a leadership perspective, if you're not clear about your expectations or what they expect from you, that's very unkind actually. So they act like it's been kind and they send you flowers on your birthdays and they celebrate moments and so from, from the outside, on the other side of the glass, it all looks very kind, but it's actually cruel. It is a cruel thing when you have a company where people are not um, um, feel free to actually share that experience, where feedback becomes such a big thing that people feel like they failed. And... You cannot believe how often I have this conversation that I tell people, you know, you made a mistake, but you are not a mistake. And creating, especially, I think the, one of the best tests you can have on your company culture is by asking yourself or in, in a leadership or um, how do we deal with failures, with mistakes, with feedback? Because from that same garden feeling that people lost a little bit of their confidence, feedback comes in so hard and they have, uh, so there's, you know, the annual performance review. People are so scared of their performance review mm -hmm. because they haven't seen their manager for a whole year. And always it's, there is a moment where you have to talk about, you know, you'll have to held accountable for what you do, which is, because you get salary paid, it's very normal that people are paid to do a job and companies can ask, you know, that's what they pay you for, to do it right and to do it better. Mm. But if you have a culture where conflicts are hidden under the carpet or where people are even being bullied uh, because of all this uh, lack of understanding, that is where you often see that in executive level, they do the same. In their boardroom, they don't speak up loud. They have, they're in their leadership bubble. They have egos. Um, so they don't want to hear 
actually what people really have to say. Mm. And and let me let me really stress out by saying that feedback is tough. I mean, for no matter how good and confident you are, mm. um, it's it's you know it it's it's hard. It's because we all want to be you know want to be loved and. Um, I love the, the article that's been published recently about Shakespeare. Shakespeare uh, really struggled from imposter syndrome. He really thought that he was doing a bad job. And, um, and then he learned about zooming into why do I feel so threat about when somebody writes things about me and not everybody likes his writing. And what we could really learn from that example is that when you zoom into feedback, into why do I get so stressed out about failure, if you ask deeper, you'll see you're afraid to make mistakes because you're afraid to be rejected. And why are you afraid to be rejected? Because deep down, we want to be loved. But the moment you realize that that's where your fear of failing comes from, you can look at your private life saying, but hey, there's no reason to feel that because I have friends. I doesn't mean a, a lot of friends, but I'm happily married. Um, so I am loved and I don't need to be loved by everybody. And that I, I always zoom into my conversations with, about that, making sure that people see where it comes from. And then... Um, showing and having an open conversation and creating safety where this can happen in companies. I mean, Rob, that is amazing when you get a level in a team to have this honest conversation. I feel like we've come full circle around why leaders then are guarded, you know, as to the fact that they have that fear inherent in them as well, because they want to be respected and admired and loved from their, from their staff, you know, and I think the more one opens up, the more you put yourself in danger of, of being uh, perceived as weak or not of the, you know, historical legacy viewed leadership capability. And um, it's interesting because it's almost, as you're alluding to, it's almost the opposite in that people tend to respect those who are willing to, to give an, an open heart to, to, to the staff and, and to the Yeah, team. and the fact that, that I, I earn money with, mentoring executives um, is the fact that they also feel loneliness, mm. which are called corporate loneliness mm. um, because they struggle. And, and there is one important factor in leadership and that's ego. Mm. And ego is a nasty thing because once it's been tickled, it wants more. So it's like it, it grows uh, as soon as you feed it, it grows. And what it does eventually to when you grow into a rise in your ranks, people are um, uh, want to please you. So they're more likely to say what you want to say. So it's like carrying a target around you that people are easily find to, to know your sweet spot, because if they know that they can uh, be, you know, touch you on that spot, you'll feel as a leader, you'll feel good about yourself. Mm. But eventually over time, when that happens, you completely lose ground, come to contact with ground with your people mm. because eventually that power, that sense, that sweet sense of it's very addictive, 
it only wants to be fed with uh, uh, with the good things. So you're not open for feedback anymore. So you're you're, you're, you're basically saying that if um, if if a team member or your subordinate or whatever you want to call it, if you ask them a question as the leader. Uh, and and they're just saying what what you want them to say or what they think that you want them to say. Um, they're never going to give you the truth, which is actually where the change can happen, where improvements can be made. And that is spot on because your behavior becomes corrupted mm. because people will know how to manipulate you. And one of the I often talk about emotional intelligence in leadership, and what happens is. You have to create your own resistance. You have to create in your in your company a group of people who you really invite that resistance in to keep you grounded. And um, because if you are in the bubble and uh, people are hiding things from you and they hide their mistakes from you, beautiful example of a leader on on Wall Street who got the feedback that people are were afraid of him. And he was so shocked because he really didn't know that people are afraid of him. So what he did is um, he wanted to be more empathic and he wanted to, you know, to adapt and embrace that emotional uh, intelligence. So he went to a country where he didn't speak the language at all. In an Asian country where he was so uncomfortable with because he didn't know, he could not read anything or listen to it. So he forced himself to look into body language. He really had to zoom in. How do people respond to me? That was very interesting way of uh, ask me uh, can people learn things? So this is, I mean, this is uh, but you can start by asking everyone in your team about feedback. How do I do? Do you feel safe to? Uh, so inviting feedback, inviting resistance. Um, uh, yeah, you need to make sure you're grounded in your company. Other than that, you're not likely to do change. And in these uncertain times, you want to move people, your employees, into a new direction, especially now. Mm. So you need to inspire them and you want them to follow you, not as as you know blindly but mm. follow you because you're having a sense of perspective yeah it's it's amazing how you know it's 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 almost the opposite to what so many people think in that the achievement of having a subordinate want to follow you uh and want to challenge you in a respectful way is is actually the greatest uh, level that you can reach as a, as a leader as opposed to what the legacy feeling is where they they felt that that was a show of uh, disrespect or they felt that someone challenging the leader was a, a show that they didn't respect that that individual whereas it's actually in this case them feeling comfortable safe in the space where they feel like they can respectfully disagree with a view of the leader or or a you know yeah, absolutely. Uh, an approach or whatever and the best trait for a good leader is to start with self-awareness. That's the basic of every emotional intelligent uh, process people go in, know thyself. Because if you know yourself, if you know what uh, uh, lashes you out or what makes you uh, tick or what makes you escalate or de-escalate, the knowledge about yourself, you know why do you respond that way. And from that you can 
regulate yourself more so you can control your impulses. If you're mad at your team because they screw up, um, you know, you can't you have to control that that emotion because it's not effective to if you want your team to do better next time, if you shout, they're not going to do anything better because they'll be afraid and they become guarded. So if you want in a company to innovate, you want people to step out of comfort. You want people to come up with bad ideas, with good ideas, but you want new ideas. But if you shout at them because they had a bad idea, next time they will become more process-orientated or task-orientated. And that whole self-regulation is super important. And, and if you have the, an empathy, which is also a very big part and drive of emotional intelligence, if you know about your employees and really know them what it is to be to what it is to be in their shoes what it is to confront customers every day who are always mad because your customer service is not in order um, if you can zoom into their reality each individual situational so like you know uh, the team members who are good under stress when there is a crisis you know who to ask but the ones who are not good at the stress, they might be brilliant at controlling or maintaining a sort of a quality. So the better you know about your employees, the better and the more effective you are in your company. People always mistake it for weakness, but it's called intelligence for a reason. The knowledge you get by zooming into your the knowledge you get makes you outperform your company way better and make your team become high performing. It's, it's, um, it sounds like what you've said uh, in, in our conversation today is that the, the really good leaders are those which are truly conscious uh, and present in the ecosystem in which they work, you know, they, they are willing to, they ask insightful questions for the reason to understand, not just to respond. They, they are part of, they try and understand the inner workings of the people that are within their teams. Um, so that they don't just take one size to fit all. Uh, is that, do you think that's a fair, a fair view on it? Uh, is, is, is consciousness a really important part of, of a, of a leader's, um, ultimate success? No, absolutely. Um, um, knowing about the people you work with, um, about no matter how tough the decisions you have to make. I mean, uh, it's not that you become weak because you know about their, uh, and you, you can look at them with compassion and you can understand what's driving them. Yeah. Doesn't hold you back from taking tough decisions. But can you imagine when you have, for instance, you have to restructure tough decision. Every leader, if you have a bit of a conscience, you'll find it very tough. And But if you know um, how impactful that is, mm. you cannot change the message, but you can at least change the way with so much care and compassion you communicate that message. Because there's also the group who stays behind because these are the group who stay in the company and have to drive the change after everybody's left after restructuring. So when you're being uh, you're in that whole process, being um, 
not with care and compassion, but just by implementing a strategy, you'll create a minefield from the people who leave behind because they're so become so guarded, so afraid, so uh, they're mourning for the loss of their colleagues. So if you zoom into that and you pay attention to humans that are in and, and the impact on their lives, the compassionate type of leadership uh, style you have from there will also make your company better afterwards mm. and um, and makes you, um, you know, if you want to move people from a change perspective, really to accept the new perspective, you have to inspire them. Mm. And in this, especially now, post-COVID, bad economy, there's a lot of cynicism in companies especially now you have to touch in and really check in with human emotion because that is how you inspire your company and your people to do better do you think that that uh, that that human uh, emotion that that connection piece that you've just chatted about now is going to be the differentiator between companies in the future do you think that that will set apart those who really achieve their potential as an organization Oh, I, I absolutely believe that. I think that uh, from a good company to a great company, um, it's about the ability to touch in with humanity. Um, uh, it's 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 very strategic, um, uh, but it's if you look at societal relevance, as we spoke about, we know um, that and was something that we touched in earlier. So we know that people are guarded. We know that people are in their heads all the time. We know that people fear mistakes and failure. Um, so if in your company you can create or um, unchain humanity in your business, where people can actually start to a little bit let go and to dissolve some barriers between people, you're going to drive a customer experience that is out of this world good especially into hospitality or in leisure or what you really want is people to feel uh, free to give the best of themselves when they speak to a guest, no matter what function you are in the hotel. But if they share that personality with you and they, they pay attention and they give the best of themselves, you get amazing experiences, transformational experiences. And um, especially now, knowing that people are worried for health and their wealth. And um, so there's, I think that even now after post, uh, of post-lockdown, post-COVID, we're still in it actually, people have become so afraid of losing the jobs, of losing family, their health. And now you have to come into work and you have to give the best of yourself. How is that possible that even at your work, people don't see you or take you your, your for real? Yeah. But make no mistake, it's not weak. It's very, very strategic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you, with you more on that. I, um, I wanted to ask you on a more personal level, um, which is a, a question we always ask our, our guests to try and understand how we differ a little bit better as, as people, as individuals. If uh, if if you could uh, visit one uh, one restaurant for the rest of your life, uh, which which one would it be and and why? 
Um, I think that I think that restaurants should be a restaurant where they always, for the rest of my life, welcome we with my name. Mm-hmm. Um, a restaurant that keeps up innovating. So every if I come there every six weeks or every six months, I want to change menu. Mm-hmm. I want to see in that type of restaurant that they are relevant, that now uh, uh, dairy or, or meat is, especially after COVID, it's not very attractive. So I want a menu that has more vegan components. But at the end of the day, it's all about the humans. They will have my loyalty for the rest of my life if they treat me with their own unique personalities if they win my heart every time I get there but also that they recognize it that I came the year before that I came the year before that is a type of restaurant where I always would go back to yeah it's 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 interesting how different people uh you know some some are more foodie people some people are more about the wine and some people are more about the human element of 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 the experience so I, I tend to sit in the same area as you do when it comes to to that I think but yeah, it's 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 lovely to chat, Monique, and I, I really I appreciate the the time um, and the insights. I, I'm also curious to know uh, for, for our listeners is how can how can they get in touch with you if if they want to take the conversation further or if they want to hear more about what you what you do. How how can how can our listeners uh, get get in touch with you? Um, yeah, I have a my company is in both in the Netherlands and in South Africa. So usually I'm two weeks per week in South Africa or two weeks per month. Uh, so I shift a bit of my time. But um, uh, yeah, my my profiles on on LinkedIn. I don't do websites because I feel that's not active. Uh, so I have a, a social profile on LinkedIn on um, Monique Landman, and I'm sure that they can. Um, ask you for my for my contact uh, sure. information, but um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that to be able to fly back to South Africa next uh, or next month. So I was probably the first to book a flight again. <laughs> That's it for today, guys. If this episode brought you value, please do subscribe to the podcast series. And for more information on building your organizational culture, visit us at rcaconsulting.biz. We'll see you in the next episode.